0: Thank you for connecting to the media product of LifeGate Church. Pastor Brian Gallardo prays as this product goes out into the nations that it empowers your faith, stirs your spirit, and pushes you towards your God-given destiny. For more information, please go to www.lifegatekc.org. John chapter number three, verse 16 and 17 says this, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So God so loved the world. He gave us Jesus. He did not give us Jesus to condemn us, but because he loved us. I want to talk to you for a few moments today on the subject matter of jesus is love this is the last part of this series pastor hart bishop hart will be with us next sunday and then i'm jumping into at the movies and i believe god's got something that's going to bless you today father i thank you for the word of the lord i pray that you help me to communicate it and let it give life to every hearer today in this building and online as well in the precious name of jesus and the people said amen I love this portion of scripture, Genesis and John chapter three, verse 16 and 17. And uh, what I hear from it is that God so loved the world. He did not condemn the world. Come on in here. And so Jesus did not come to condemn man. Jesus came to love man. The Old Testament, we know, is written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek, and they translated that from Hebrew to English, Greek to English, and when they did that, they lost a lot of meaning of the importance of each individual word that the writer was trying to convey. And so what I like to do, um, and I encourage you to do, you can get a uh, Strong's Concordance or a Greek and Hebrew lexicon, and you can look up every individual word in the Bible and find out the original definition of that word, and it will mean a whole lot more to you. It'll jump out of the pages. So I took this verse in John chapter three, 16 and 17. And I did just that. So I looked at the word for some reason I went to condemn before I went to love. Isn't it easy? Isn't it funny? All of us, we live in a realm of beat up ourselves as, 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 opposed to God loving us. I don't know about you, but I do. And so the first word that I saw was condemned. So I jumped into my, uh, strong's concordance and I pulled up the word condemn and it's the word, uh, krino. And it means to curse, to punish, to damn. I asked my wife, can I say that word in church I said yes because it's in context to damn to sentence as if we were criminals to excommunicate and cut off to banish and to exclude from so god did not send his son into the world to curse the world god did not send his son into the world to punish the world to damn the world to sentence the world as if it were criminals, to excommunicate the world and cut off the world from Jesus himself. He did not send Christ into the world to banish us from him or to exclude us from him. It's on the contrary, really. He came into the world because he loved us so much. You see, if you read Scripture, Jesus never condemned sinners. Now, I, hear, I know what you're saying. Well, Pastor, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? Jesus did, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. Jesus, under the grace dispensation, never condemned sinners. He condemned sin, and he condemned people who thought they were better than everybody else, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the sinner. He said it's not the sick. It's not the healthy you are in need of a doctor, but the, but the sick. I don't know if you're in this room today or not can compare to me, but I know what it's like to be sin sick. I know what it's like. I don't forget what it was like to be lost. I don't forget what it was like to need salvation. I don't forget what it was like to be a wretched sinner. Anybody else in the room? I don't forget it, what it was like to be in need of the love of Jesus. We don't need condemnation we need the love of jesus somebody say jesus is love so the Greeks had four main. Now there's about eight of them, but they had four main def words that they used to define the word love. The first word that they had was eros love. Eros is defined as sexual desire. It's where we get the word erotica from. The funny thing about eros love, if, if you're in the room and you have a pulse and you've ever had a sexual passion or desire, this comes and goes pretty fast. It's fleeting. It's it doesn't remain. There's no contract. There's no covenant uh, to sexual desire and love. So the Greeks use this word. Another definition for love they use was storge, which was love between a parent and a child. Storge love is 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 uh the love that you feel, its empathy toward your children or or its family love. And this kind of love will allow you to put up with things with your family that you wouldn't put up with with everybody else. And so Olivia, my daughter, she can drink out of my cup and she can take her fingers and pull a piece of watermelon out of my bowl. But ain't none of y'all doing that. I don't storge. I love y'all, but I don't storge y'all. I storge Olivia. And so I'll put up with stuff with her. I ain't putting up with anybody else, but I storge my daughter. Can I get a witness in the room? Then there's this word philia, and it means being fond of an individual. Um, it's, it's love from the head and not love from the heart. It's being fond of somebody but not deeply connected to them. But the word that God used to define his love for us was not eros, was not storge, was not philia. It's the word agape. And the word agape love by definition is to love someone with the deepest part of your soul, to love from your heart and not your head. The Greeks used to say it this way, which sounds so funny to me. I love you with all my bowels. Which meant, what they were saying was, I love you from the deepest, deepest part of the deepest part of my insides, of my insides. I love you. This word, agape, is the least word, they use this word the least in the Greek language. They didn't just throw it around because it had a deep meaning to it. It had a deep root to it. It meant that I love you with an infinity love that is precious to me. It has nothing to do with the actions of one receiving this kind of love. It has everything to do with the actions of one giving that love. God so agape you. Come on in here. God so loved you. It's an unconditional love. which Agape means no matter what your conditions are, God loves you. You could have a rich condition. Come on, you can have a poor condition. You could come from the right side of the tracks, the wrong side of the tracks. You could be a Democrat or Republican. You You can have hair or have no hair. It doesn't matter the condition of your life. You can be rooted down deep in sin, or you could think you have a life altogether. It doesn't matter the condition. Oh, I'm about to say some things here today. You could be gay or straight, it doesn't change the love that God has for you. You could be married or single. We A lot of single folk in church, they feel like a second-class citizen. That's a lie. The same love for married folks is the same love for a single folk. Come on. The same love for a single mama is the same love for a parent, two-parent family. God's love is unconditional. No matter what you have, no matter what you don't have. No matter what sin you've committed, no matter what sin you haven't committed. Jesus is love. 1 John 4, 8 says it this way. For God is love. What does that mean? That means God cannot be separated from love, and love cannot be separated from God. God is agape. You look up God's picture in the dictionary, you'll see a big heart. His definition is love. God is agape. Agape is God. You can't separate this two. As a matter of fact, Paul the apostle, the guy who was responsible for writing two-thirds of the New Testament, murdered all kinds of Christians, but had an experience with God on the road to Damascus where he got converted and gave his life to Jesus. He did not have a revelation that God was condemning. He had a revelation that God was loving. How do we know this? He told us in Romans chapter number 8. I feel the anointing on this scripture right here. Watch. He said, for I am convinced. Another translation says, I am fully persuaded that neither, neither death nor life. In other words, it doesn't matter. I'm convinced. I'm fully persuaded whether I die or whether I live. Neither angels nor demons. I am persuaded that not angels, not a demon, not things presently going on in my world are things in the future going on in my world. Just because I'm going through hell doesn't mean God don't love me. I am fully persuaded that nor any other powers it don't matter who's in office, it don't matter who's running the government, it nor any other powers, neither high places or low places. Some of you in this room today, you're in a low place. You're depressed, you're anxious, you're full of oppression, you've gotten bad news, the doctor told you you're going to die. I came to tell you today that nothing will separate you. He said neither height nor death or anything else in all this earth will be able to separate us from the agape of god paul was completely convinced i want you to be completely convinced paul was completely persuaded i want you to be completely persuaded that it doesn't matter where you are in life today the agape love of god is without condition because jesus is love somebody say amen See, he loves us without restraint. Boy, that's so powerful. I thank you, Jesus. He loves us without restraint, without condition, without prejudice. Jesus is love. Now, 1 John tells us in chapter 3 and verse 16 that this is how we know. We can see his love. This is how we know what agape is. Jesus Christ laid down. He laid it down. They didn't take it from him. He laid it down. The Roman soldier did not kill him. He allowed himself to be killed. What? He willingly and completely laid down his life for a mess like me, for a mess like you. Come on. Our ministry is because we have a lot of mess in our past. Jesus agape us so much that he willingly laid down his life. See, some of y'all forget where you were when you got saved. Some of y'all forget how messy you were, how bound you were, how broken you were, how addicted you were, how sinful you were. But I keep it before me that if it had not been for the love of God, if it had not been for the grace of God, I'd still be broke. I'd still be busted. I'd still be addicted. I'd still be bound. I'd still be in a mess. But Jesus is love. He's love. Jesus did not come to condemn you. He came to save you by agape you. Now, now I, was, I was meditating this week about this and asking the Lord to give me fresh revelation. He took me all the way back to uh, the book of Genesis. And there's a a guy in your boat by the name of Noah who was righteous, the Bible said. He was a good man, and he loved the Lord. And God told him to build a boat that he was going to destroy the whole earth because of wickedness. So Noah gathered his family, and he gathered two of every uh, unclean, I think it was, and seven pairs of every clean. I think that's how it was. And they all went into this big old boat called an ark. And for 40 days and 40 nights, rain came upon the earth, and water came from uh, underneath the earth and flooded the entire earth. And the Bible said after 100 days of being in that boat, that the boat came to rest on Mount Ararat, which is in modern day Turkey. And you can actually, if you Google it, you can see a picture of the outline of Noah's Ark that's still there today, that they won't allow archaeologists to go in and to research it, but that's another subject. It landed on Mount Ararat in Turkey. And, And the Bible said that Noah came out of the boat and he did something extremely perverted and wicked. The Bible said this man of God, he planted a vineyard and he got drunk on his own wine. He stumbled into his tent, took off all of his clothes, and laid in his tent completely intoxicated and drunk and that represents you and I that represents our sin, that represents our mess, our filth, our dirt and the Bible said he had three sons the first son represents Satan which was Ham, Ham came in and he saw the nakedness of his father and he saw the drunkenness of his father and he walks out of his dad's tent and starts accusing him and starts slandering him and starts exposing what his dad did, the enemy is really good at being the accuser of the brother come on in here, but Shem and Japheth, they walked in backwards and they didn't look at his dad's sin and they covered up his their dad's sin and they walked out of the tent. They represent Jesus. You see, Jesus won't cover up unrepented sin, but Jesus does supply covering for it. When you ask Jesus to forgive you of the mess, come on, when you ask him to forgive you of the filth, when you ask him to forgive you of the wickedness, mercy stands up and preaches. Grace cries out loud and he covers what you did the bible said he throws into the sea of forgetfulness and never remembers it anymore aren't you thankful jesus is more like the latter brothers than he is like Ham? jesus is love come on look at your neighbor and say he's preaching about new sounding today you see judgment it kills but love gives life Christianity is not about merit, it's about mercy. Christianity is about grace, not the gravity of your sin. Christianity is about love, not legality. Jesus is love. Well, pastor, you go preaching like this, you're going to give people a license to sin. You don't need a license. You're already good at it. I saw your Instagram feed. I know you're already good at it. We, we know we we, know we good at sin. What we're not good at is walking in the faith to believe that we've been forgiven. Walking in the faith that we believe in that God's grace is bigger than us. Walking in the faith to receive his mercy to cover our sin. Walking and believing that no matter where we are, what we do, who we say, what we, that God is for us. That Jesus is love. See, God and karma are not the same thing. Karma says you're going to get paid back for what you did. What goes around comes around. Come on, we don't believe that as Christians. We believe Jesus is teaching that I came to erase your past sin. I came to exchange what you did with what I did. Jesus says I come to take your sin and offer you my death. I come to take your filth and give you my blood. I come to take your addiction by giving you my freedom. I come to take your bondage by giving you my deliverance. Love always trumps condemnation, Jesus. Jesus is love. Woo! He is so good. Well pastor, does he love everybody the same? Yes. Yes. He loves the broken as much as the mended. The sick as much as the healthy. The elephant as much as the donkey. The red as much as the blue. The homeowner as much as the homeless, the single parent as much as the widow, the divorced as much as the married, the gay as much as the straight, the Muslim as much as the Christian, the Republican as much as the Democrat, the lost as much as the found, you as much as me, me as much as you. Jesus is love. Come on in here. You say, Pastor, I know all this stuff. No, you don't believe it. Because if you believe it, you wouldn't act the way you do. Come on. Jesus is love. His love healed the leper. Well, they're nasty. They're filthy. They're dirty. Don't touch the sinner. What they got will get on you and him. No, Jesus touched the leper. Jesus' love gave birth and breath to Lazarus. His love set the demoniac free. His, his love gave life to the woman who was caught in the act of idolatry. His love gave refreshing waters to a woman of Samaria at the well. Jesus' his love can re- the highest mountain but his love can also go to the lowest valley Jesus somebody say is love come on talking here like you met him before talking here like he saved you he delivered you he healed you Jesus is come on say it Jesus is love he's love our God you've been addicted to anything before Jeremy was and he told me I could tell this He was addicted to opiates and he got set free. Are you still free? Had to make sure because he's our music director. Are you still free? He, He set him free from an addiction. Do you know Jesus has an addiction? He is a crazy, he's an addict. He needs to celebrate recovery. He's an addict. Jesus is addicted to pouring his love upon a loveless humanity. Aren't you thankful? Huh? He does not have condemnation for man, but he has a strong conviction about man. What is that conviction to love deep? So I want to give you three things on this subject today. You say, Pastor, you're giving me a bunch of things. I know. I know. I want to give you three main points today. The three C's of God's love. Number one, the love is a deep conviction. If Jesus loves with a deep conviction, we should love with a deep conviction. I'm not hearing you, but it's Okay. We, we live in a culture that pushes and promotes humanism, yeah. self-worship, self-look better. I, I was so nervous to come out here in a sweatshirt and jeans. I asked about three people, is this okay to wear today? You know, because I've been, I've been, you know, I was like, is this okay? You said, Pastor, you was wearing t-shirts half a year ago. I said, I know, but I got convicted a little bit about it. So I was, I, and, and Justine said, Pastor, you look like Apostle Rayleigh dressed in that way. I said, okay, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> So we we live in a culture that is so promoting of self, right? We smell of self. Uh, Self, hey, self, look better. Hey, uh, 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 self, wear the name brands. Hey, self, make selfie look the best that you can. Uh, Hey, 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 LifeGate Church, your building's not sexy and Instagram worthy. I had a preacher tell me that. (laughs) No, but he was encouraging me. He goes, you don't have to look sexy on Instagram. As, as a church you got to worry about all that people ain't looking at a building and want Jesus A building's not going to help somebody heal from being hurt Jesus will he like rebu- he was rebuking me because I was so I was so indulgent in ourself I was like this this church is ugly I've said that a thousand times the Lord said stop saying that He said it through my friend that's a mentor he said stop saying that God gave you that he said he said you may be a little ugly on the outside but you don't owe nothing he said, I know preachers that owe millions of dollars and are drowning in debt. He says, celebrate what you got. I don't want to be so selfish, so self-focused on me that I lose them. Y'all are quiet. I don't want to be so, so, so focused on the church that we don't get a hold of the unchurched. Amen in here. Prideful self thinks I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna come park in front of your front yard right now. Help me, Lord, to help them. Prideful self thinks, "Hey, I'm better than you. Yeah, for sure. My economic class better than you. Yeah. The car I drive on the church grounds better than you. I seen you pulling up in that raggedy car. Pride. Pride. My social social economic opportunity is better than yours." My ethnic class is better than yours. My God-given birth nationality, praise God, we're Americans. America is better than you. But that's a humanistic lie. Are we burdened as a church for the lost? I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. What's our heartbeat as a church? I'm not talking about on Sunday mornings. I mean, we've had 80-some people give their life to Christ and say, I'm going to follow Jesus in the last month or so of church ministry, and that's great. We're thankful for that. But is it the preacher who's burdened, or is it the church who's burdened? Do we care that not too far from these grounds some young woman's going to be raped today? Do we care that some young baby is going to cry themselves to sleep and nurse that bruised brow of a drunken daddy who put their fist in his face? Are we burdened that lost souls are broken, damned, destitute, and dying? Are we just playing church? In Luke chapter fifteen, some religious leaders came to Jesus and said, "Hey, Lord, what 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 are you doing? How can you sit down with such filth and such sinners?" And Jesus said, the son of man came to seek and save that which is lost. I don't want to be a church that is really good at churching people. I want to be a church that's really good at changing people. Come on. And, and, and we can't, listen, we got great programs right here. We got great, we got great people leading great departments. And we, we really have the dynamics in our church, church to change a city. I believe that with all my heart. But, but I, I want to do it for the right reasons. Y'all come in here. We got we got to take the pulse of where God has us, and where God has us right now is winning the lost. He wants us to win. He wants you to win the lost. And I'm going to give you some key principles today on doing that. So we have to have a conviction. Now, here's what I want you to know about about Greek. Is there's this word agape. Which is the noun form of unconditional love. But then there's a word agapeo, which is the action verb. The, 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 it's, the, it's the verb of the word agape. So agape means unconditional love. Agapeo means to display unconditional love. So let's flip over to 1 John chapter 4, and verse 7 and 8. And I gotta hurry because I have 29 more minutes. I mean, I have four hours. Okay, First John chapter 4, verse 7, it says this. Dear friends, let us love, that's the verb form, one another, agapeo, for love, that's agape, comes from God. So unconditional love comes from God. Now we must take that unconditional love and prove we got it. Everyone who loves with action has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who does not unconditionally love people in action does not know God. Because God is agape. Yes, yes. Now let's take it a little step further, and Pastor John here is about to let us have it in chapter 4, verse 20 through 21. He said, whoever claims to love agapeo in action, God, in other words, you come to church, You, sh- I love God, I love God. You don't love God. What's wrong with you? I love him, I love him, I love him, I love him. I love the Lord, I love the Lord. He's my God, I love Jesus. I shout better than everybody. I sing, I dance, I- I get it all going on. I'm the biggest giver. I've been baptized 29 times. They anoint me in oil. I just I'm just oily because I got oil. I, I I love the Lord. I got the Christian T-shirt. I carry the big Bible. I got 5,000 bumper stickers on my car. I always post memes and Instagram of if you are truly Christian, please post this. If you don't, you don't follow. I love the Lord. Agape. But then he says something that it comes right to the heart. And and this convicted me. I hope it convicts you. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother. Let's dissect this a minute. The Greek word here for hate is the word messio. And it means to detest someone. To dislike intensely. To persecute them or to love less than another person. Look at our culture today. People hate each other. Now, they're not going to come out and say, I hate you. They detest each other. I mean, if if you watch the news, I watch the news sometimes just for comedy. Like, I think it's so weird how people think. You know, you watch Fox, and they're detesting everybody. You watch CNN, and they're detesting everybody. And a lot of times, they do that in the name of Jesus. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother the word brother here in the Greek is the word eldelfos. and it means related to or not related fellow humanity. So, whoever claims to unconditionally love God yet dislikes intensely a fellow man, you're a liar. Selah. That's deep, y'all. Whoever does not love God or who, for whoever does not love their brother whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us his command. Anyone who loves God must, you ought to circle that, underline it, highlight it, must also love humanity. What are you convicted about today? I'm convicted to love because Jesus is love. Number two, love obeys the great commandment. Matthew chapter 22 and 36 to 39 says this. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In other words, from the deepest part of your bowels. That's what that means. And the second is like it. To love, agapeo, in action, agape, your neighbor as yourself. To unconditionally love. That means you forgive quick. That means you don't hold on to a fence for 12 years and constantly point fingers at them and play ham to them. You <laughs> Shut up and just get saved. You really need to get saved. That's all you do is you're a critic and you're pointing fingers at what everybody does. What is people doing right? That's what I want to know. Oh, Love always wins. Jesus was passing through Jericho. And the Bible said there was a bunch of people gathering around to see Jesus. And there was this guy there, his name was Zacchaeus and he was really, really short and he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd of the people. Zacchaeus was hated, he was despised, he was a tax collector and what it looked like in that day, if the taxes were 5%, tax collectors would charge 25% and keep the 20% and if you didn't give it to them, you'd be arrested. So they were hated. I mean, the IRS ain't nothing like tax collectors of the Bible. They were despised and hated. And so Jesus comes into town and Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus. So he climbs up into a sycamore tree where he can finally see the Lord. And I was thinking about this. I thought that's pretty pathetic. That people around Jesus was keeping a sinner from seeing Jesus. Could it be that we are the roadblocks for sinners seeing Jesus because we got it all together And we pointed their sin like ham and tell them how short they are, how spiritually handicapped they are, how bankrupt they are, how a mess they are. Come on in here. Could it be that we are the roadblocks from people seeing Jesus? We can either be a follower or a Pharisee. But you can't be both. See, Jesus did not say, love God and judge others. He said, love God unconditionally and love others unconditionally. Three things. Number one, have a deep, deep deep conviction of love. Number two, love obeys the great commandment. And then number three, love obeys the great commission. Everybody say commission. commission. Jesus said again in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, go, go. The gospel is spelled G-O-S, it's go. First letters in the gospel is go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, as surely I am with you always to the very end of this. So Jesus said, go to the world and make disciples. Go to the disciples and baptize them. Go to the disciples and teach them to obey the word of God. In Mark chapter number five, Jesus wanted to teach his disciples what it looked like to go to the broken. The Bible said he went to this place of the Gadarenes and there met him there a man who was possessed by a legion of demons. Now, a legion was almost 2,000 soldiers in an army. So Jesus went to this guy who was possessed with 2,000 demons. Now, one demon is strong enough, but 2,000 demons, that's a whole lot of demons. And Jesus wasn't scurred. He didn't run from the broken. He went to the broken. It was the Great Commission. He was trying to show his disciples, hey, let's go to those who are broken, busted, and bound by the enemy. Right, right. He goes to the Isle of the God of Here's this guy. The Bible said he's living in tombs where dead men lie. He's living amongst dead people. He's taking knives and self-mutilating and cutting himself. People in the town tried to chain him to posts and he would break the chains and he would get away from those that were guarding him. This man was oppressed. He was depressed and definitely possessed. But Jesus went to the herding and he set the captive free. And Jesus is still in the business of going to the herding and setting the captive free. But my question, my question I want to pose to you today is what if Jesus didn't go to the Gadarenes? What if we don't go across our hall at work? What if we don't go across our front lawn in our neighborhood? I've heard people say to me all the time, I want God to send me to the nations. I said, what's your next door neighbor's name? I don't know. So you want to go across seas, but you can't go across yard. You don't need to be going across seas. You want the limelight. You don't want, you don't want the guts of preaching the gospel. What if Jesus didn't go to the Gadarenes? What if God didn't send Jesus to this planet? What would we look like? Where would we be if Jesus didn't find us? Somebody said, I found the Lord. You didn't find the Lord. You didn't know where to look for him. He sought you out. He seeked you and he found you. If we're going to be a church that preaches love, we must be a church that practices love. Come on in here. How are we practicing? Are you being sued by the kingdom for malpractice? Are you practicing well the love of God? Because people are hurting, so like Jesus, we must love. People are broken, so like Jesus, we must love. People are crying, like Jesus, we must love. People are self-mutilating, like Jesus, we must love. Are you convicted about loving? Are you obeying the command to love? And are you willing to accept the great commission to love? I'm asking you, church, are you ready to be a church that's loving the hell out of our culture? Because hell is working in the hearts of man, and we got to love people out of it and into the kingdom. The Bible said it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance, not the condemnation of God. So the practical application, Pastor, how do we do this? How, How do we love people? How do we show it? How do we put it into a verb? Number one, it's real easy. Be kind to people. Be kind to people. I asked the waitress today on a Sunday, months ago, I said, how's your day going today? She goes, man, all these church people drive me crazy. They don't tip and they're super rude. I was like, well, I'm a Christian and I just got out of church and I'm going to change your opinion. And so the conversation was awkward because she, then she felt like, oh, I didn't mean anything by you. Man, we loved on that lady. We tipped her really good. I always give a minimum of 20%. My wife, she said, "Honey, sometimes you give too much of a tip." One time, I actually gave like 60% on accident, because I did the math backwards, and and of course that that waitress was like, "Oh my goodness, thank you so much." I'm like, "It's just a 20% tip." And my wife said, "Babe, you tipped her like 60 bucks." I was like, "I did?" She's like, "I was like, eh, okay, well, praise the Lord, may I reap a harvest off that seed." Then I went to her manager. I said, "Hey, I would do this a lot. If I think a waitress is good, I always go." To the manager, I was asked for a manager. You know, you do that, and people panic. They're like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? I was like, can I get your manager real quick? The manager came. I said, hey, I just want you to know, so-and-so did such a great job today. Yeah. The other day, we were in Omaha, and we stopped at a uh, uh, restaurant to eat some breakfast. And uh, some of the church folks was with us. And when we walked in, sometimes I, I get tunnel visioned if, I, if my mind's made up on something. And it can come off rude, and I catch myself when I do that. And so we got to the, we got to the restaurant and I was trying to put the tables together and I was like, okay, we'll get it. But after I did it, I I felt like I was rude to the waitress, not meaningful. It just came out that way. And so I, I sat down and I felt the Holy Spirit, you know, he'll, he'll nudge you. He don't judge you, but he will nudge you. You know, he'd be like, Hey, Hey punk. No, he doesn't say that, but he's like, I was like, I think I was rude. I, I think I was rude to her. No, I guess I was rude to her. Okay. Holy spirit. I'll make that right. So I said, hey, uh, Selena, that was her name. I said, Selena, can you come here? She's like, what? I was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, I, I think I came off rude. And the Holy Spirit said, no, you did come off rude. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I did come off rude. I didn't mean to. I, I was just, I got tunnel vision. My admin gift kit took over, and I just put the tables together and I was focused. I said, but I did not mean to be rude to you. Please forgive me. And I'll tell you, well, she was an amazing waitress. She killed the game. And, and she couldn't believe I apologized to her. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but okay. And I'm like, yes, you did. Stop lying. And, and so so afterwards, I went and found her manager, and the manager, you could see, it was just panic all over her face. I said, can I talk to a manager real quick? She's like, sure. So they went and got the manager. She's like, uh, yes, sir. I was like, oh, it's all good. I just want you to know Selena is incredible. She did a great job. Be kind to people. Here's what, here's what I've learned. Most people who are rude and angry are really hurting people. They're angry, and they're they're coming off rude because really inside, they're broken and hurting. Be kind to people. Number two, Tell people that Jesus loves them. Yeah. Well, that's cheesy. Jesus loves you. Would you like to accept Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? No, no. <laughs> tell people, tell people, hey, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. He proved it by dying for you. Let me tell you my story about he did it for me. And I believe he'll do it for you. A lot of you in this room today, uh, go ahead and stand on your feet with me. We're going to conclude here in just a second. I got, I got four more hours. Uh, how are you doing today, Ben? I love you, buddy. You're doing a good job. I believe a lot of people who will be on our grounds today and tonight, they're not they're not here by accident. We don't we don't believe in accidents. We don't I don't believe in coincidence. I believe people are here today because God ordained them in this moment to be here today. And you've never encountered the love of Jesus. You've never encountered the love. You've encountered church. You've encountered religion. You've encountered uh, uh, church people. But you've never encountered the love of Jesus. But I want you to know you came to the right building, not just to hear his story, but to experience his glory as well. And he is here. and He loves you. Jesus loves you. How do you know that preacher? He changed my life. 1995, I was a mess, y'all. I mean, I was, I was an, I was Drunk out of my mind almost every other night. I was, I was in sin completely. But about 3.45 in the afternoon, y'all heard my story. 3.45 in the afternoon in Omaha, Nebraska, in an apartment all by myself, Jesus came in that room and changed my whole world. And he didn't change my whole world to not change your whole world. He can change your whole world too. Because his love is greater than you and his love is greater than me. That's why he came. He did not come to condemn you. Yes, there's going to be condemnation after you die if you don't know Jesus. It's called a place called hell. That's a real thing. There's a real heaven. There's a real hell. There's a real God. There's a real devil. There's a real eternity. And who you serve in this planet, on this earth, will determine where you go in the afterlife. Don't serve the devil anymore. Serve Jesus. He lo- every head bowed for just a moment. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. I want you to reach over. Just grab somebody by the hand real quick. Let's just grab somebody by the hand. Father, I thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing what only you can do in this room. This morning, I pray you get a hold of man. Get a hold of the hearts of the people. From here all the way, those watching online today, there's many of you watching online, you've never experienced the love of Jesus, but today is your day. Today is your day. If you're in this room or you're watching online and you say, Pastor Brian, I want to know the love of Jesus. I want to encounter God I'm away from him. I'm backslidden. I don't know Jesus. I've never given my life to him. I've never given my heart to him. When I count to three, I want you to squeeze that hand to the left or right. Those online, I want you to tell somebody. I want you to type it in the chat room there in the comment. He's talking to me. I want to serve the Lord. If you're in this room or you're watching online on the count of three, those are your two actions. Number one, you say, Pastor Brian, I, I don't know. Maybe when I get older, I'll serve the Lord. But the Bible said you're not here forever. Your life is but a vapor. It could be here right this second, but on the way home, it could be gone. You're not promised tomorrow. Two, heaven is real. Hell is real. Don't go to hell for anybody. Don't serve the devil for anybody. Give your life to Jesus today. He loves you. He has an unconditional love for you. He's bigger than your sin, bigger than your problem, bigger than your addiction. He is God. He is Savior. He already proved it on the cross. One, two, three. If that's you, squeeze that hand left or right of you. Those online, I want you to comment in the comment section. He's talking to me, pastor. I want to give my life to Jesus.